or one day is Thursday. Let's try that again. <laughs> Hello, one day is Thursday, January 25th, 2024. This is the week in charts. Obviously, I want to thank all you guys and girls for attending tonight. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. So what are we talk about? Well, obviously, current market conditions, as usual, I have plenty to say about that. Your questions on trading. Good morning, Matt from Australia. Your favorite stock in crypto picks. Just put uh, your stock picks in one at a time and hit carriage return, if you don't mind. I guess I'm showing my age. And uh, we'll get to those when we get to the live charts. If you want to hold off, uh, just in case I overlook them, uh, you might want to wait until then. But anyway, I want, to get, I want to continue my series on things that I wish someone would have told me a long time ago. Also, I have a lot of crypto examples from this week, and not all great, and I do want to show you them, though, because it really helps to explain trading. So it's not about the crypto. It's more about the trading, and trading is trading, and as I preach, crypto is a good way to get your reps in. If you want to attend these webinars live, you can go to YouTube at Dave Landry. Uh, right now, they're on GoToWebinar Live, too. You can register for that at DaveLandry.com slash webinar. And there's some other ways to reach me. There's a flame screen. As you know, you can lose money trading or, as often sum it up, all predictions about the future and a lot of stuff can happen between now and then. So it's not about crypto. Trading is trading. So let's take a look at some crypto trades from last week. So here's one. And there's the trades down there. And like I've been saying, I'm, I'm not betting the form on this. I'm just kind of having fun on it. And I'm, I'm trying to see if I could parlay a small account and it's it's something to do so i bought it here now this is a relative strength play relative strength i'm just buying the strongest pairs it lately hasn't been a fantastic market for that it hasn't been a fantastic market in crypto but things changed really quickly and by accident as i mentioned last week i found cryptobubbles.net and i have no idea who the website belongs to or anything but it's kind of a cool thing when they're all green that's usually a good time to do your RS trading. And when they're all red, it's usually a time to sit in your hands. Also, as mentioned last week, Bitcoin could be a really good bellwether for that too. And Bitcoin's getting a little iffy in here. Jim, I'm not sure what you're asking. Bitcoin equals minus TFM means it's not um, trading or you mean the TFM 10% system. But anyway, in this particular case, I bought it because it was going up. It shot up and hit the IPT the next day and then it imploded which is fine with me. If you could make 20% on having your position one day and scratch out, that's fine. That's what I call better than a poke and the eye trade. Now, the ultimate thing we're doing here is to establish some longer-term winners. And I only really have one longer-term winner, if memory serves, and it's up around 500%, and that's the ultimate goal. But anyway, you have to be willing to get in. You have to be willing to get out. and then. Say next and move on. Here's another one. Nice uptrend here. This is a little bit uh, more akin to the core methodology. The core methodology, we're trading pullbacks. The relative strength trading doesn't happen that often. Now, in crypto, you get these coins that are just going crazy or tokens, whatever, shit coins. And it could, that's when you could just go in and buy the strongest pairs. And again, lately, it hasn't been like that. Like, late last fall, we had early this year. It was, but now we're kind of more back to the core methodology. But anyway, you can see a nice little pullback here. The buy was here, IPT, and it didn't quite hit it. And we'll take a look at the live chart here in just one second. And this is one problem I've been up against a lot lately. 
and I guess what I should do is I should set an alarm when it gets fairly close to that IPT and not split hair. So that's something I can improve upon. So, so far, this is a near miss. Here we have another near miss. You can see nice uptrend and almost pull back to the 30 EMA. So it's almost a Landry Light pullback. This is sort of a textbook looking setup. You've got a nice gradual uptrend. You've got a nice base. It breaks out of the base. I need to go back and look to see if I played the relative strength back here on this one. But anyway, nice little pullback, almost to the 30 EMA, almost a textbook Landry Light pullback, except that it didn't actually touch the EMA. But still, good looking setup nonetheless. So I bought it here. And the IPT is here. And so far, it has not hit that, that IPT. So that could be another near miss. And as I'm doing this presentation, it reminds me that, again, I probably should be setting some alarms. Okay, the buy for ENS was right here. And again, this is just a case where it was the strongest pair at the time. It was going up and all the other pairs were going up. And Let's see what that date was. That's early this year. Yeah, earlier, three weeks ago, I guess. Things were a heck of a lot better. IPT, I've been using the initial profit target. That is, I've been using 20% on these. I think as the market matures, I will probably do something like I do with stocks where I'm actually looking at the volatility of the stock, obviously, the or the, the shitcoin, I should say. Obviously, it's something like Bitcoin, the 20% profit target might not be a good profit target because it's not as volatile as it used to be and it's not as inefficient as it used to be. Anyway, so flipped out half and then this turned into yet again, a better than the poke in the eye trade. This was 58% move in a couple of days, which was really, really cool. Unfortunately, I got stopped out and that's where you gotta shout next one more time. So here's another one. This is a relative strength play. And you could see that it was just making new highs. And, and that's it, it's it's easier said than done, but sometimes it could be quite easy. You're just buying the strongest ones, and that's it. And that's that's pretty much it. You there's a few caveats, like this one has a few long tails in it, but not too many. Usually when they have these long tails, super long tails, it means that they're kind of thin, but it really didn't have long tails until after I got in. So I got in here. Flipped it out at the IPT of 20% within, I think it was like two days. And then I got stopped out on the remainder. So it is what it is. I'd like to see, obviously, some of these take off. But eventually, the point I'm trying to make as far as, as the better than the poke in the eye trades is if you keep chipping away at it like this, eventually you're going to capture that six or 700 or 800% or 500% move. In fact, here we are right here. You can see I just bought this one because it was going up. Now, I don't know if shitcoins are exactly like IPOs in that IPOs, you could actually just buy the new closing high within the first week sometimes, or, or at the end of the first week, I should say, the buy a D pattern that we use for IPOs because they're wonderfully inefficient. Uh, the only thing I think you'd have to watch with the with the altcoins, I guess, as I, could, I should call them, but I call them shitcoins because <laughs> It makes me really cognizant of the money management, how much risk I'm putting on the line. And they might all go to zero, but as a trader, who cares, right? But anyway, I wonder, and, and it's been my experience so far that the newer pairs do tend to take off at least initially. And this is a bit of an anomaly. Usually they don't run 600%. They'll run up one or 200% and then come right back in. But anyway, the buy was here. 
the IPT was here and half was sold. And then those are the trades. And you can see that so far so good here. In this particular case, I think I took a little bit out here and there. I kind of mined a little off, so to speak, and put it to Bitcoin. But you can see now it's getting fairly close to stopping me out. And I have a very liberal stop in there. My goal is to ride out these longer term trends. To those who are newer to my methodology, remember, we're going in for a swing trade. We're getting that partial profit out. And then we're trailing a stop on a loose basis. And that gets looser and looser over time as the market moves more and more in our favor in order to hopefully, and I just said hope, but hopefully capture a longer term trend. So maybe it's time to say goodbye to an old friend. Little heirloom effect comes into play here. That's a little behavioral science or behavioral finance, I suppose. And that means the longer you hold something, the more attached to it you become. All right, just a couple things. Uh, the balloon is off the rose for crypto, at least for now. But I would say check back often. A few days ago, that crypto bubble screen I was just talking about was all red. It just was nasty looking. And then a day or two later, it was all green. And I was able to put on a couple of those trades that I just showed you. So you definitely want to stay on top of the situation. Now, based on Bitcoin, which is a bow tie to the downside, we'll talk about that in just one second. Jim's asking about the TFM 10% system in Bitcoin. I'd recommend that you don't do that. Maybe adjust your parameters a little bit if you want to experiment with it. But as a general statement, I don't think it's a good idea to do that. And when we get to the live charts, I'll, I'll pull up uh, Bitcoin and we'll take a look at that. But based on Bitcoin and crypto in, crypto in general, now is not the best time for the relative strength trading. Now, you could pick your spots carefully. There's one or two here and there. And I just showed you a couple that I was able to pick up last week. But for the most part, there's not a whole lot in there. And you also notice that there were not as many long-term positions. Last week, I had a bunch of long-term positions still on. And again, those were established by establishing a short-term position and then working my way into that longer-term position. But most of those stopped out except for TIA. Now, relative straight trading is a lot more fun. And I know we're not in this for fun, but it, you're just you're just flipping in and out of these. And as they're banging out the new highs, you're getting in them. And when you're in a rip-roaring relative straight market, which which comes and goes in crypto, it's only happened a few times in stocks, like 1999 and a few other times. But in crypto, it seems to be this revolving bull-to-bear market cycle. I did a presentation not too long ago where I showed a pendulum swinging from bull to bear and back and forth. And that's kind of how the shitcoin market is. But uh, anyway, real strength trade is a lot of fun, but the core methodology is more sustainable longer term. So you're probably going to see more of the pullbacks and things like TKOs, Landry Light pullbacks, bow ties, et cetera, longer term, except, and the big exception, I guess, would be when everything begins to sort of take off again and by the way breakout trading is is a tough way to trade because you're going to be wrong a lot unless again you're in a rip roaring bull market all right any questions on any of that before we jump ahead so as i've been saying i guess it was about five weeks ago i woke up and i started writing down things that i wish People would have told me about trading a long time ago. And if you go back about four weeks or so, you'll see the uh, initial presentation where I just kind of ran through all of these. And then lately, I've been 
working my way to kind of flesh them out one by one. And then in the meantime, I keep thinking of newer things. So we might be stuck on this presentation or this series for a little while. One of the things that's that's kind of interesting is it's harder than it looks. And I think a, a mechanical system would be a good way to show you this. And then I wanna show you something with my core methodology. So here's the cues, and this is the TFM 10% system. And when you're green, you're less than 5% away from the 50-week closing high. When you're pink, you're greater than 5% away from the 50-week closing high. So this is zero to 5%, this is five to 10%, and this is greater than 10%. As a general statement with indices, not necessarily Bitcoin like Jim's asking about, because Bitcoin might move 10% in a day, right? Whereas an index, it could move 10% in one day. And if it does, you need to get out of the way because something really bad happened. It is happening. And I think that happened. I don't think it dropped 10% in one day back during the pandemic, but we did have a pretty sharp drop that triggered a signal. I was amazed at how quickly it triggered a signal. But anyway, sell signal is a close 10% or more away from the 50-week moving average, simple moving average. And that's on a weekly chart. And it also has to close below the 50-day simple moving average. So let me say that again. I don't know if I said that properly or not. I should have left the rules in here. <laughs> you can get the rules from all my other presentations. Uh, I close 10% or more away from the 50-week closing high and a close below the 50-week simple moving average. So down here, like right there, that would have been a sell signal because because you're more than 10% away from the 50-week closing high and you're closing below the 50-week moving average. Buy signals are a little bit more stringent. You need two bars of Landry light above the 50 simple. That's it. And you have to be within 10% of the 50-week closing high. So as long as you're above this red zone, you're good to go, provided you have two lows greater than the moving average. That's two bars of Landry light. That's pretty easy peasy. So for SGs, I did a little back testing right about the time the signal was about to trigger. And I thought that the Qs did fairly well. And I figured it'd be worth a shot, especially since they're a little bit more volatile than the S&P 500. So for SGs, I bought 100 shares, not knowing whether or not I'd be able to follow a mechanical system or not but I thought it'd be kind of an S&G type of thing. And as of this screen capture, at the time, the queues were at all-time highs, 424.70. And I got in at 319.49, as you just saw. So I have $105 plus, knock on wood, come in, <laughs> in this open trade. I never dreamed this thing would run 25%. But anyway, you could see 10K and counting, easy, Peasy. And that's the thing when you're when you're doing your research like this and you're looking at all these little simple systems and simple patterns, you're like, wow, I could just absolutely print money with this stuff. Well, the map is not the territory. Once you get into the actual trade, you'll find that it becomes a lot tougher. And forgetting about the the, the psychology of actually getting in and actually taking the signal, which I'll touch upon in just one second a little bit. The bottom line is once you're in, then a whole new host of emotions come into play. Now, I'm just putting some things in here that I think people may have been thinking, should they have taken the signal? 
And some of it is based on what I was thinking. So I remember a few weeks in and being underwater with this thing, I think it was like a month in. And I'm like, holy moly, this kind of sucks, right? I'm supposed to be making money on this trend following thing, right? And then the market took off and I'm like, wow, I'm up $6,700. And that's when you find yourself wanting to mentally monetize the trade, which brings on a whole nother set of problems. And then what happened? Well, it imploded and I lost, so to speak, $4,500. And at that point, I'm like, damn, you know, this is a pretty ugly drawdown. And if I go all the way down to here, I'm barely going to even be profitable on this trade that was just up $6,700. Now, keep in mind, this is not the core methodology, and I don't have any partial taking of profits in here like the core methodology. So if you go back and look at those crypto trades, I'm taking that IPT, that initial profit target off. So the worst I could do is break even the rest of the trade. And that could set me up for a longer term winner. Now it doesn't happen that often, but every now and then you'll catch, like I just showed that 500% winner. And I think there was a few more that went two or 300% before filing stopping out. But anyway, so you watch all that money evaporate. And then now the stop would be at 357 and it looks like uh, 65. So let's just say it's 360, 357 round numbers. Well, that's a long ways down. And if you, you're looking at your 10K and you're, and you know, again, I'm mentally monetizing. I, I, I thought this was, a, this was an S&G trade. That's ah, 100 shares, who cares, right? Well, $10,000 is starting to become real money, right? That's five figures, right? And if it stops out following this system, I would have to give up $6,800. Now, you're probably thinking, well, Dave, why not take half? I probably should, okay? Because $10,000 in a few months is nothing to sneeze at, especially on an S&G type of trade. But for now, I'm gonna just let it keep going and see what happens by following the system on a mechanical basis. Now, keep in mind, a lot of what I do, or 99% of what I do is not mechanical trading. Although some people say there are things I do that I sort of execute in kind of a mechanical way. And I know a lot of, as I've said before, mechanical traders, they claim to be purely mechanical, but they tend to be a lot more discretionary than they let on. Anyway, so here's an IPO. And this was recommended in my core trading service. This is the first pullback or first deep retracement. And it's a wonderful pattern to trade. Now with the, with the somewhat lower price IPOs, less than $30 a share, buy a D is my favorite pattern there. You're just buying at a five, at the highest close for the first five days. So if the highest close, let's say it was on Wednesday at 10 bucks a share, and on Friday it closes at 11, comes public on Monday, then you would actually buy with a few caveats you'd buy going into that close. And that has been a wonderful pattern so far. We hadn't had a lot of action lately with it. It's it's weird, the IPOs have gotten really thin lately. I don't know why that is. If somebody knows, let me know. Anyway, so there's all the parameters there and I'll show you where to get those in just one second. Entries here, the stop is down here and the initial profit target is up here. So now all you have to do is just follow the plan. And that's why I say all you have to do 
is the throwback to when we lived in the country and there was always something broken. And my wife was always like, all you got to do is just, you know, get your little wrench and, you know, <laughs> tighten up that leaky pipe. Well, you tighten up that leaky pipe and then it fitting breaks off and then you shut the water off and then you're out of water. And then the water also goes through the heating system. So then you're out of heating and cooling and it becomes a, a really big mess really fast. But yeah, on the surface, it looks a lot easier than it really is. Now, in this particular one, I don't know if it was this one, but I do remember coming in with one of these stocks, and it might have been this one, but I would come in day after day after day after day, and I'd put my order in, I'd put my order in, it would never trigger, never trigger, never trigger. Now, with an IPO, I'm a little bit more lenient on the triggering because as they move into new highs or approach new highs, they can really take off. And sometimes that takes a little while. They consolidate a little bit. They get a little bit ahead of the, they get a little ahead of themselves. And that's kind of why the first deep retracement works fairly well. The first pullback, however you want to look at it, depending on the depth of the pullback, obviously. So it was really lenient. It's like I waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And I put in my orders every day, every day, every day, every day. And again, I don't know if it was this one, but it was one like this one where I put up my order so many days, I just said, you know, this thing's never going to trigger. And I didn't even bother. And then luckily, somebody at Facebook pointed out that it had triggered. I'm like, oh, thank God. So that could have been me saying it's never going to trigger. And then I didn't say this, but I do remember a few days into the trade, actually by the end of the day, I should say. So it triggers and then it immediately reversed. It, it took off a little bit, gave me a little false hope that it came right back in. And I know I wasn't the only one I was kind of thinking about this. And this is one of those, I knew I should have taken this trade. I'm down $573. That's per 100K based on the model account. You know, so F this, I'm out. And that's what goes through a lot of people's heads because they're told to cut the losses short. Well, you have to be willing to ride off the normal volatility and you also have to be willing to follow your plan. So, of course... The next day, it bottoms out, and then it begins to take off. So on the day it hits the IPT, and you bailed out at a small loss because you think, well, I better cut my losses short. That's what they all say, right? Well, that's the way a lot of people do go broke is trying to get their risk so tight that it's within the normal volatility of the stock. But anyway, so then you, could, then you could see that it went sideways. It didn't stop out. It came fairly close to stopping out. But by this time, you're thinking three months, seriously, with no forward progress. It's like, why would you sit in this stock so long? Well, because the stop has not been hit. Yes, it's lost momentum. Yes, it's going sideways, but it might just be catching its breath. It might have gotten a little ahead of itself. There are no time stops with the core methodology. And then you can see it had it took off once again. And you're probably thinking, why can't I just follow the plan? And then what's happened in more recent times? So, well, it started going sideways again. It's gone sideways for about a month. And now you're thinking, why am I hanging on to that money? If you want to see the archives of these trades, you can go to daylearner.com slash archives. If you want to see them live, daylearner.com slash trading service. Okay, so getting continuing on with the series, it's not as hard as you try to make it. And when whenever I work with someone who's just getting into it, they're on the holy grail hunt, they're trying to figure out every angle. You could take 
one little simple pattern of mine, like TKOs or Landry Light pullbacks, which I'll talk about in just one second, the Landry Light pullbacks, that is. And you could probably do okay with it. And then you could build upon it from there. As Linda Rasky once said, all you need is one pattern to be successful. So people complicated a far more than they need to. And like we said a few weeks back, the market is trading on emotions and you're trading on emotions, which we'll get to. And you just have to wrap your head around that. You're trading traders, not markets. A lot of times there won't be a lot of logic. And that's one of the things I probably need to, um, that's number five, logic doesn't often apply. And we'll, we'll get to that. Anyway, I think a trading system should be reduced to a cocktail napkin and or should be able to be reduced to a cocktail napkin. And this is the cocktail napkin when I speak in person that I give out. And that's pretty much the entire methodology. And one thing that never ceases to amaze me is that some of my biggest winners come from the simplest setups something like a landry life pullback or even a bow tie which is slightly more complex but it's really not that complex but you can see now this one hasn't taken off yet so this would be a good example of a simple setup and we'll see if it works okay so there's the parameters there and you can see we had nice landry light that means the lows or greater than the moving average about 40 days nice trend accelerated trend and then it pulls back to the moving average, Landry Light pullback. That's the whole pattern right there. Now, ideally you want some acceleration and you also wanna look at the chart. I mean, it might get above the moving average and trade sideways, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a market where you could draw a big blue arrow on it like I have here, and then waiting for that pullback to the moving average or just a pullback in general. Anyway, the entry was here, the stop was down here, the IPT was here, and it's since triggered, but we'll see we'll see how it shakes out. Now, last week I said the markets are emotional. Well, you're emotional, okay? And that's that's every one of you. It's universally preached to eliminate your emotions. Well, guess what? You can't. And that's neurology. I got in a fight with one of my friend's wives here. I see the other night, it was probably a, a year ago. <laughs> and she said that that's not true, that you can make decisions without emotions. And it's like, well, it's neurology. I can't, <laughs> it is what it is, you know? Now I was looking for some slides on this and I found a presentation I did back in 2017 or 19, I forget, one of those. Anyway, it's been a few years at least four or five years. And the title of that was, hey, Lizard Braid, is this part of your anatomy controlling your trading decisions? So not only is there a trading psychology involved in trading, there's also a trading neurology. And neurology is something I, I only learned about, I keep saying not that long ago, but it's probably been about 14 years. And I was speaking at Golden Gate University to the San Francisco Technical Analysis, uh, I think it's TSAA, at one of their meetings. And uh, Denise Scholl spoke before me and she talked a little bit about the neurology of every decision has an emotion attached. So 
I'm not a neuroscientist, but I did say the Holiday Inn Express once or twice. So there's this thing in your brain called the amygdala, and it's very small, and it's responsible for the perception of emotions such as anger, fear, and sadness. And I like this definition because this definition actually gives us something we could work with. Now, in the original presentation, I had a snake, uh, a picture of me with a snake, and I forget why I had that in the presentation. But I do remember as I'm thinking about it, we were cleaning out the house. I was cleaning out my garage, which was a mess. And when we were moving, and I had seen this huge snakeskin in the garage earlier and <laughs> in the day. And I reached up, I wasn't, I'd forgotten about it. I reached up and I was pulling some stuff out of a cabinet, these little handles uh, that are used to pick up things. And I grabbed one in each hand. So both my hands were tied and I pulled that snake into my chest. And um, it, and I had a diaper change moment, okay? The point I'm making there is when there's something threatening like that, you don't have time to think about it. So basically, I, I jumped about four feet and ran, you know, like a schoolgirl. And then I eventually caught the snake with the, with the grabber. I didn't, I wasn't brave enough to grab my own, with my own hands. Anyway, long story endless, the amygdala, all it knows is fear. And it immediately triggers and, and has you swerve out the way or jump out the way if, if you're getting ready to get hit by a car or whatever, which is great for life, but in trading, not so much. So you get this immediate, really fast response, and it kind of hijacks the rest of your brain. And again, which is great for a flight or fight situation, you're a caveman, saber-toothed tiger comes up, and you're like, okay, I think I can take him, or you know what, I better run. <laughs> so you really don't have a whole lot of time to contemplate your navel. What's that big word? It's about that big that that means contemplate your navel. Stick it in the comments below if you can if you remember what that is. Jeez, oh, it's I got an article where I talked about that. But anyway, so again, the amygdala is great for the caveman, but in modern day situations, not so much. Okay. And one thing that I often think about is you're stuck sitting in front of your screens, right? In my case, I try to stand for all trading. But you're you're standing in front of your screens or sitting in front of your screens, and the stressor comes out at you, right? The market. And, and last week we talked about there's no fear in the markets. I know, ha ha. <laughs> but your stressor, the stressor comes out, and you can't you can't run away. You can't get away from it, and that makes it really really tough. And I think that's a lot of a lot of neurology we have to really wrap our head around to deal with the situation because we can't run away. So we need to put commitment devices in place, which we'll get to. And then you also have to figure out ways to just follow your plan. Now you can't make decisions without your amygdala and you can't make decisions without emotions. Now, I'm just kind of giving you the Reader's Digest on this, but every decision has emotions and stress attached. And as I've said quite a bit in Denise Scholl's presentation, she talked about the fact that somebody who's been institutionalized, which you probably will be if you can't, if you don't have emotional processing, which means you can't make decisions through injury or illness, 
and a doctor will say, okay, well, would you like to meet next Tuesday or next Wednesday? And they'll go through all the reasons they should meet on Tuesday and then all the reasons they should meet on Wednesday, but neither one has a consequence or an emotion attached. And then they'll actually start the process over again and they arrive at a stalemate. So if you've been brain damaged, unfortunately, you can no longer make decisions. So you have to embrace and not eliminate the emotions since we can't make decisions without them. So how do you do that? Well, easier said than done, but step one is recognize and acknowledge that all decisions are emotionally based and start thinking about every decision you make in your life and channeling Kettering or Kettering, a problem well stated is a problem half solved. And I think that recognizing that there are emotions attached to every decision in life is the is the secret to learning how to embrace your emotions. Notice I didn't say control your emotions. And I really think about every decision. My, my daughter's visiting tonight. It's kind of like, well, be nice to not do this presentation and just hang out. But it's like, okay, we can hang out after the presentation. And I want I wanted to do this presentation because it was scheduled. And, you know, for other reasons too, for you guys, obviously. So the decision to just do this had a little bit of emotions attached. So you really need to embrace your emotions, feel them, get in touch with them, and just start being cognizant of your emotions on every decision. Even little decisions like what you're going to have for lunch. And that's that's for me, it's like, okay, like I'm, I might wanna go get some fried catfish or something, but I'm gonna be miserable the rest of the afternoon if I do that. So even a very simple decision like a lunch decision is going to have an emotion attached to it. You might think, well, I've been working out so hard lately, do I really wanna blow it on that? So be especially cognizant of your trading emotions. I journal my F-bombs. I would journal, uh, I do journal my temptations and that's an important thing to do. And as I'll mention here in a few minutes, just a little bit of a pause can help to bypass all that lizard brain. And they call it lizard brain because that lower part of your brain actually looks like a lizard's brain. I wish I'd have thought about it. I'd have grabbed my brain. I have a brain in the closet. Maybe I should take it out. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, but the lizard, it looks like a, a, an alligator brain or a lizard brain. And uh, that's kind of like all the brain an alligator or a lizard has. But journaling your temptations, and when you start journaling your temptations, like, ooh, I really want to buy this market, but it's not set up. You know, and as I've said before, you need to watch your butts. And you just need to resist those temptations. I know, easier said than done, but by holding, by holding yourself accountable. And one big thing you can do is commit to commitment devices when necessary. An example, a great example of committed commitment devices, doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be, uh, take a lot of time, whatever. But a great example of a commitment device was a friend of mine who's getting a little pudgy as a trader because we don't move around a lot during the day, right? And he found a young kid and he said, look, I'll pay your gym. I don't know, I've told the story before, but I'll pay your gym fees 
and the, and the kid was really into working out. I pay you gym fees. All I asked is that when you go to the gym every morning at, I think it was 7 a.m., that you ride by my house and pick me up. And at 7.01, if I'm not sitting on the front porch swing waiting on you, I will give you $20. And of course, that kid's there probably at 6.45 waiting for 7.01 to get his 20 bucks. But that's a commitment device. And I, I haven't followed up with him, but I know for a while he was pretty serious about working out and he hadn't missed a workout in a while. Success is less about making good habits easy and more about making bad habits difficult, okay? I discovered I had a bad habit of walking in the office and making a trade. I almost did it today, okay? I walk in the office, everything looks great. Well, usually I'm walking in the office after breakfast or lunch, and I was probably hangry before, and then afterwards I was feeling good, so all of a sudden everything looks great. That's the hangry judge effect that I've talked about before. I think his name is, I want to say Irely. I don't know if I have any books within reach, but um, he's one of my favorite behavioral science kind of guys. Um, Malcolm Gladwell is pretty good, obviously. Um, who else is another one that I'm, oh, of course, Tversky and um, Kannerman, I think, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow Guys. So those are a couple of good authors to read. And James Clear, of course. So you need to just make things difficult, make the bad habits more, more difficult, okay? I can tell you this, when I lived in the country, I had a brewery and garage, I had a 20-gallon system, and I always had beer on top. And always having beer on top made it pretty easy to drink a beer, <laughs> you know? And I drink less beer, and not a whole lot during the week now, because I run out, I let myself run out on the weekends. And then if for me to drink beer, I'd actually have to get in the car and, and leave the office and go get some beer. And that's something that I, I don't leave the house much. <laughs> anyway, so again, Sun Tzu rears its ugly head. If you know the enemy, know yourself. You need that fear, the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gain, you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. And I'm gonna tell you a very simple and free way to get to know yourself here just one second. So obviously that's Art of War. I read a few years back, it's like, oh, you old fart, stop quoting Art of War. It's getting, uh, <laughs> it's getting boring. Now, one thing I, I would strongly recommend you do, and I tell everybody this, and and, if somebody's new to trading and it's like, how serious do you want to be? You want to be serious? Do your morning pages. And years ago, as I've said a thousand times, I used to do these. And for some reason, I quit. I just got lazy or whatever the case may be. And then several years ago, I started doing them again. There was a lady by the name of Julia Cameron. I think I loaned the book out uh, that had it, the chapter in it. And, and I've only read that chapter of the book. I haven't read the whole book. But it's called the artist way and she talks about morning pages now she's got some quirky things i don't fully agree with but i, I can kind of see where it might be helpful i'm just don't always fall for that um kind of esoteric stuff like she says make different characters about yourself like there's a doubting doubting person of you and the uh the one that's always gone ho and disrespects risk or whatever all these different people i found that a little kind of quirky for me i just write 
and it and you're not writing war and peace it doesn't have to be grammatically correct you're you're the only one that's going to read it although i do have some funny stories where people have read some of the where my daughter found some of my writings because I left them out. But that's another story there. Uh, but anyway, just don't don't make a big deal about it. And I'd say about one in 10 people, if that many, maybe one in 50 actually follow through with this. And it's not easy, but you'll reach a point where you actually look forward to doing them. I can't wait. Now you're going to party with me. <laughs> to get up and start working on my morning pages. Now, am I holier than thou? Hell no, okay? I cuss and I fuss, and let me see, I think I had some F-bombs today. I'm very emotional, as I've said before. I cry like a schoolgirl when I'm forced to watch a Nicholas Sparks model, uh, movie. Yeah, I'm not seeing a whole, I know yesterday I didn't have any, which was a shocker. I think today I had a few Uggs. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, I'm a very emotional guy, and there's nothing I can do about that. It just it is what it is. And I think I said like last week, um, I'm I cry when I watch a Nicholas Sparks movie or when I watch a Formula One documentary. I also have a serious problem with agreeableness. I took a personality test a while back. And I think it's Jason Williams, Larry Williams' son, wrote a book. And I think it's The Mental Edge of Trading, I want to say. And anyway, first, one of the things he said in there was to take a personality test. And that's a good way to get to know yourself. It's pretty, it's a, you can find a free one online. I forget the name of the one, Briggs, something Briggs. It's probably the, and there's, there's one that's kind of famous. But you can find it free online. And, and I scored really, really low in agreeableness. And that's probably the worst trait a trader can can have. But get to know yourself. Do your morning pages and take a personality test. Now, you want to slow things down a bit before your next decision. And here's the, the crazy thing. I think I still have it. Here's the crazy thing. And this is kind of a long story. I'll give you the Reader's Digest. But... Years ago, I was at Traders Expo, and Greg Morris was there. I want to say Greg wasn't speaking, but Larry McMillan was. And Greg, knowing that we'd be there, thought it'd be a good idea to just uh, come out to New York and visit. And so we had supper together. And uh, he said, what are you going to talk about tomorrow, Dave? Greg did. And I said, well, we'll talk about how the amygdala can kind of hijack your brain and that's all you really have to do to help avoid that is to slow down a little bit because it takes about it only takes about three seconds for your emotions to boil from that amygdala to slow it down i should say so it's it's instantaneous you have a snap reaction but if you can wait just three seconds and Greg, before I went any further, he knew exactly what I was talking about. And Greg said, wind the clock. I'm like, excuse me? He says, yeah, wind the clock. He said when he was a at fighter pilot training school in the simulators, they purposely try to freak you out. So you crash it. And he crashed a few simulators. Better to crash a simulator than crash a real one, right? Real jet. 
And he reached a point where he's like, okay, I'm going to flunk out of flight school and never even get off the ground, literally, if I don't figure this out. And so what he did was whenever the stuff started going crazy, he would wind the clock. And back then, they actually had analog clocks. And I don't think this is one out of a fighter jet. I think this came out of a Cessna. I got it on eBay. It doesn't work. Uh, it, it makes noise if you crank it. But I used to, for a while at least, I kept it on my desk. And before I'd make a trade, I'd wind the clock. And so what he's doing is he's kind of slowing things down a little bit. And when he became an airline pilot, whenever he was in a sticky situation, engine burns out or whatever, instead of immediately taking action where you could shut down the wrong engine if you're not careful, I think he would touch the dash or whatever. He would do something to kind of slow him down a minute or not a minute, but like a few seconds so he could act appropriately. I don't want to speak out of, speak for Greg, but you kind of get the idea. So just slow things down a little bit on your next decision and the next several million decisions afterwards. And a great example of this is if you ever snapped at your spouse and then immediately think, oh man, I, should, I, I went too far. I should take something back. I think we all have if we've been married for a little while. But you'd be surprised. I need to remind myself about this too. But when you when you find yourself like getting that little quip lined up, right? Just take a few seconds and let that little Terminator thing come into your head, right? And I do these in other situations too. And you might pick, you know, number four or five in this list anyway, but at least you carefully chose it and thought about the consequences of that decision. So slowing things down, slowing things down will help you a lot. So there's a lot of neurology in trading. And, and again, to me, that was an epiphany finding these things out. And obviously you want to plan for battle the night before. You want to do your homework, get your setup, get your entry, get your protective stop, know where your initial profit target is going to be. A lot of that's just a formula once you figure out the entry and the stop. In fact, I'll give you a spreadsheet for that. You'll still have to pick the stock, pick the stop, and then pick the entry. But other than that, everything else is a calculation. I uh, forget who said it first, but it's been said before, where stress is highest when information is changing or uncertain. Well, as soon as the market opens, obviously, information is changing or uncertain. MindSculpt uh, is a way you can mentally rehearse. There's a book that I had read years ago called MindSculpting. I have to read it again. I seem to remember it's pretty good when it, as far as it relates to trading. So you kind of want to mentally rehearse these things, see yourself entering the trade, see yourself following the plan. And a, a lot of this stuff is kind of quirky, but it, it works. And then, of course, just do it. Consult your written plan when tempted to take unnecessary action. If you bust the plan, then shame. I used to say shame a lot in the webinars. And uh, Mike Peterson, a client of mine, gave me the shame belt. So I need to I need to put this back on my trading desk and when I'm trading poorly. <laughs> Shame. You know, one thing we talked about, uh, I was at uh, Charlie Kirk's retreat years ago. He was uh, kind enough to invite me as a guest of honor. By the way, Charlie's doing better. He's um he's he's uh he's a paraplegic now, but he's he's doing better. And um he's if uh, you guys on a well you guys on a Kirk report already know, but he's I, I see he's back to work and, and putting stuff out again. So uh, good for Charlie. But anyway, Charlie was kind enough to invite me to be the guest of honor. And one thing that uh, he was talking about was um, 
to have like a shame notebook and and it just when you do things you shouldn't do trading wise at least put them down in your notebook now if you for me if you know a little neurology it really helps to make you feel normal okay it's like why am i so emotional well we're all emotional okay get over it all decisions have emotions again you have to be cognizant and you have to embrace them accept them and get to know yourself and do your morning pages and write like i said three pages every morning and in your trading journal write how you're feeling write what you're thinking about doing write what you're tempting to do write when you walk into your office the the, the hangry judge effect like i talked about earlier i, I, make, I used to make all these walk in the office trades stupid trades because i was just feeling good and i'm dave landry right and once I started doing the walk in the office, WITO, I found myself not taking nearly as many trades and keeping myself out of a lot of trouble. And the hangry judge effect, basically, in a nutshell, just said that the sentences were far more harsh for the convicted people before lunch than they were after lunch because the judge came back feeling better. He went from hangry to feeling better. Now, you have to hold yourself accountable, commit to commitment devices. Holding yourself accountable is is a tough thing. I, as a story I've told a thousand times, I have a, a client who does really well. He's a good trader, but the wheels come off the bus every now and then. And one time I said, "Look, tell your wife you're going to follow this trading plan that I'm putting out. I'm not the grand poobah. There will be losses. We might go six months, okay?" and look like we're not getting anywhere, maybe breaking even at best over six months, and then we'll do really, really well for a while, and then we'll go back to grinding it out. I think it was uh, Gelber, Brian Gelber that said, three months out of year, you're hot, you're so hot, you can't sleep at night. Three months out of year, you're so cold, you're cold. You never know when your next winning trade is gonna come along. And then the other six months, you make a little, lose a little, and you wonder if you're ever gonna be consistent. That's that's the life of a trader, right? And you know, people come to trading service, and uh, they knock it out the park with one or two stocks. They think it's always going to be that way. Or they come in, I tell them not to do anything for a month. And of course, they quit because I don't need to pay a guy to tell me to do nothing. But sometimes you do. Sometimes there's nothing to do. Anyway, so long story endless, I told him, look, just tell your wife, we're going to follow the plan. Doesn't always work, obviously, but over time it will work. And it went on and on and on. And then he he stopped me about halfway through and he said, oh no, that would end the marriage. So he knew what he was doing wrong. And that's one of the things that I always talk about when I, whenever I, I dig myself a hole in psychology, trying to explain psychology, I, I usually end the presentations with, well, you know what you're doing wrong? You know what you're doing wrong. Now, of course, the dead horse cliche, plan your trade, add trade your plan. Okay, let's jump into crypto. Jim's been waiting patiently. Thanks for waiting, Jim. Let me change my screens over. And we'll take a look at that. Okay. All right, so let's just take a look at, so here's that RBM we talked about earlier. And you can see it was a near miss on the IPT, as was SUI. So those are the only two. This was one that I was looking at earlier. It's got some long tails in it. 
and I almost bought it. I don't know why I have this line in here, but I almost bought it at this line. I don't think I actually bought it. I should know that, but but sometimes that's all you do with relative strength. But with these long tails in here, this one could be a little thin, so I didn't actually take the trade. Here's that TIA just kind of chopping along in here. Let's take a look at Bitcoin, and I want to take a look at Bitcoin. You can see we got lot, we have lots of Landry light here. Let's jump into ACP for that. And uh, Jim, I'll, I'll get to your question in just one second. Okay, so you can see down below I have the Landry light, and we had lots and lots and lots of Landry light, and the market was headed higher. Okay. And now we have downside Landry light because the highs are less than the moving average. So we have 10 days of downside Landry light. So this is a market that has lost steam in here. It was obviously the buy on the news. So buying the rumor, selling the news situation, because you can see this day here was the day they approved the spot ETF. And so far, it's been downhill since. I'm still bullish longer term, but as a trader, I have to believe in what I see and not in what I believe or want to believe. So we got 10 bars of downside Landry Light. That's not a good thing. We'll take a look at the bow tie proper order. And you'll see that we have gone from green, which means 10 is greater than 20 and 20 is greater than 30. These are simple and exponential and exponential moving average respectively. So now we have a bow tie sell signal and Bitcoin. And I, if we take out this low here, I would begin to get concerned, but now's the time to maybe pull your horns in a little bit if you are bullish on Bitcoin. But you can see the, the green is good and the red is bad. And if you just follow the red and green as a general statement, now be careful because there will be a little lag. Like right here, it turned green, but notice that this market didn't keep on going higher. So use the indicator or illustrators, I call them, to help you. But make sure the chart confirms what the indicator is saying, okay? And right now it does because on a net net basis, we had a pretty serious slide and Bitcoin. And we have a bow tie to the downside. So that's looking a little ugly. Now, just asking about the TFM temperature system and Bitcoin. And I think we talked about this before. Let's put the zones in. By the way, all of this is free with my plugin, which is down here. And I keep threatening to charge for it, but it's free for now. So if you do have ACP, I'd recommend you download that plugin. So a weekly, a sell signal with the TFM, it's actually further away than I imagined it would be. Let's take a look at, let's back it out a little bit. So this line here, the red would be 10% away from the 50 week closing high, which was probably right there. Yeah, so that's this line, nope, right here. So that's 43,050. And we are, we're now 10% away from that. But remember, it also has to close below the 50 simple moving average. Well, 
Bitcoin is so volatile, it can really get a long ways away from that 50-week simple moving average. So the sell would be way down here. I would not recommend this system in Bitcoin and something like we said earlier, like the Qs that don't move around quite as much, something like this could really help to keep you on the right side of the market. So you can see last 10 years, when you get into the red zone, you wanna get out the way, okay? And stay long as long as you're above the red zone. And as a general statement, that will keep you out of a lot of trouble, okay? But Bitcoin is too volatile. I think your parameters would have to be too wide. Now, down the road, when Bitcoin matures, with um, all these ETFs and all this other stuff out there, it's gonna become more and more efficient market and it won't be quite as volatile. So maybe then it might be worthwhile. All right, let's shift gears and hop into the stock charts, the live stock charts that, that is. And then we'll do, um, if uh, you guys wanna talk about any individual stocks, feel free to start punching them in now. I'll be happy to take a look at them for you. Jim, what are you saying? Is 40 a typical pullback point? I'm not sure what you're asking on that one. For Bitcoin, I don't know what you mean. So the P's today on a micro level, we did end a little higher, about a half percent. And that's enough to keep them at all time highs. So as a trend guy, I'm not going to argue with that. So far, so good. And the P's, I'm sure we have a plethora of upside Landry lights. Take a look at the NASDAQ. NASDAQ managed to close a little higher in here. Now these indices are overbought and due to correct. So it wouldn't surprise me if we saw some corrective action, but the NASDAQ is right at these multi-year highs and it doesn't have too far a way to, way to go. It's maybe uh, one or two days, one or two days, good days of getting past the all-time highs or making all-time highs. Let me show you something real quick with the GBTC. GBTC looks better than Bitcoin, but I did a presentation for your daily five for stock charts yesterday. And one of the things I pointed out was that some of this rally or some of this rally was, was likely fueled by the fact that the premium was coming off. It had like a 20 something percent premium a few months ago. And now the premium is almost scratch on GBTC. So some of that, probably came off or a lot of all of it came off actually and so this chart i think it's a bit of a misnomer it looks a lot better than bitcoin so if i was just seeing this i would say this is set up and and worth a shot as a trade and it's still as a pure technician i probably should should not be judging it based on the underlying but it, it's complicated i think in this case i think you also have to look at at bitcoin when you're looking at something like GBTC, obviously. All right, let's take a look at the Rusty real quick. I just, I'm kind of sick of looking at the Rusty. It just can't get out of the stupid wide and loose range, okay? So I don't know what's going on here. I like to see it out of this range and then it has a lot of overhead supply to deal with. But yeah, I think all would be great in the world if we could get out of this range and keep on keeping on. Energy has bounced quite impressively today. They're rallying nicely off the bottom of their range, but they're stuck in a range. And if you look within energies, like the service stocks, like OIH, obviously 
they remain in a pretty serious downtrend. So I would avoid the energies. GBTC bleeding billions per the Wall Street Journal. Could you uh, could you could you explain what you mean by it? what? Can you just give me a read a thumbnail on that? What's going on? They're um, they're not making money due to fees or whatever. I know that fees are going to have to come down. Most areas looking pretty good. Here's the fence. The fence stalled out a little bit in its pullback. If it gets above this pivot point, that would be a good thing. If it keeps dropping and drops back into this prior base, that would obviously be a bad thing. Let's take a look at if you take a look at financials here with the Morningstar industry groups, they're just shy of their prior highs in here. And I forget which one, what's the, um, is it XLF? If you take a look at the spiders, they look a little better. They're right here at these all time highs. Outflows, okay, people are selling it? Gotcha. Yeah, can you shoot uh, shoot me a, um, post the uh, the link in the Facebook and I'll take a look at it. Most areas are doing pretty good in here. Health services pull back, still looks okay. Uh, defense, I think we just talked about that one. Same thing here with the morning store groups. If it pulls back into this base, I'd be concerned. MNC or the home builders have been doing pretty good. They recently have a bit of a knockout move. I'd actually like to see more of a knockout move. So far, so good there. Leisure's kind of hanging in there, not too far from all time highs. So that's a good thing. Let's take a look at the semiconductors. Semiconductors sold off a little bit today, kind of flatsville by the end of the day. Let's take a look at SMH. I think SMH is right at these all-time highs. It actually ended up a smidge, so that actually keeps it at all-time high. So that's certainly a good thing. Most things technology-related look pretty good, obviously, with the Qs, knock on wood, at all-time highs. So overall, things still look pretty good. Spot Uranium is looking pretty good. Let's see. You see uranium just kind of pulling back a little bit in here. These are the miners. That looks pretty good. The physical uranium actually looks a little bit better than the uranium stocks right now. So that's one area that's doing okay. And again, most technology is doing pretty good. So as soon as we get a pullback in the overall market, we should see a plethora of new setups. And I'm just sort of biding my time waiting for that pullback to see how it shakes out. Okay, uh, any individual stocks you guys want to look at? I know we occasionally talk about stocks in Facebook. I know since the group started, we don't have as many um, questions on stocks. Let me uh, check in with my YouTube brethren and see where we are. Okay, kind of quiet over there, no problem. I hadn't forgotten about you guys. All right, any stocks going once, going twice? Well, obviously, I want to thank everybody for attending. I appreciate Appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Anything unanswered, daviddavelandry.com. Join me next week here, davelandry.com slash webinar, or just keep an eye out on my YouTube channel for the next time I go live, which is Thursdays at 6 o'clock. Did you get CCTG? CCTG. Did I get it personally? No, I did not. Um, and why did I not get this one? Let me see. Let's see. One, two, three. What's the volume on that? No, I had good volume. Nope, I overlooked it. Dang. Okay, so here's your buy. B, one, two, three, four, five. So the buy, as scary as it would have been, would have been yesterday at 1484. So yeah, that's a that's a good looking buy at B. Yeah, I missed that one. I don't know why, but uh shoot. <laughs> okay, again, thanks everyone, and may the trend be with you.
You're welcome.